Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. First and foremost, I know we have some families still traveling back and, and uh, from uh, 4th of July weekends and whatnot, and so just be praying for their safety. Um, some of you guys know Verna Ray Wilson. Um, we called her our resident grandma around here. Um, I, don't, I don't remember ministry without her being around. She passed away about a week and a half ago and her funeral's today here at Reliance at two o'clock. And I noted her family that's here. And if you guys would just be praying for her family as they say goodbye, knowing that she's in, I'm telling you right now, she is in the arms of Jesus, amen? And so if you guys would just be praying for them, um, that would be great. And then also we've got a, a bunch of middle school students getting ready to go to camp on Monday. And so if you, um, I want to pray over you guys. If you're a middle school student going to camp, will you guys stand up? Um, if you're a parent of a middle school student going to camp, will you stand up? If you're a sponsor, we definitely want you to stand up. Um, and so if they're just kind of around you, you just extend a hand out. I think, uh, how many are going, Matt, 30 something? 30 middle schoolers are going to camp. And so just want to pray over them and, and uh, yeah, let's just go before the Lord. Father, we love you. and. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity for these middle schoolers to go and get away. Lord, we're asking every year that we say the same thing, that we, we don't want them to have a mountain-high experience because eventually they're going to come off that mountain. We want them to have an encounter with the God of the universe. For, for, forever and forever and forever, if they have an encounter with the God of the universe, they will be changed. And so, God, we're asking that your presence, that your love, God, that you would infiltrate their souls and their hearts and their minds with the love of who you are, and that these 12-year-olds and these 13-year-olds and these 14-year-olds, that sometimes the world says, well, they're just not mature, that they would walk in such a maturity in their faith that they teach us what it looks like to walk in faith. And so, God, would you bless them, keep them safe, help them have a great time, form friendships, God, that are lifelong. For the parents that are standing, God, will you give them peace? Will you remind them, Jesus, that you are the protector and the provider for their kids? God, will you watch um, these parents' hearts as they pray for their kids as they're gone this week and just give them peace, Father. For the sponsors that are standing, God, we pray that you would give them a dose of rest where they get to go and just love on these students. Where Jesus, they get to go and be filled with your love. God, give them rest, give them peace in their hearts as well. But God, we're asking that when these middle schoolers come back, there's a radical encounter that they've had that's real and authentic, that Lord, their heart is not changed because they said, well, I saw everybody else doing it, so I wanted to do it. Their heart is changed because you met them face to face. That's what we wanna see, Father. So we pray that over all of these students. Lord, even as we take up our offering this morning, you've blessed us so much at Reliance. And now, God, I pray that every time we are blessed, that we can become a blessing. So I pray that all the offering, God, that's sowed into this place, we would simply sow it out. That we would plant it into ministries and missionaries, gospel messages going to the ends of the earth. God, we would partner with people local and global that we can help Jesus spur on one another to good deeds. God, we want to be your hands and feet. We don't desire to build Reliance's kingdom. We do desire to build your kingdom. Help us with that, Father. In your name, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen and amen. How many love you some Jesus this morning?
Well, if you are a visitor, it's good to have you guys. Um, uh, if you're regular, it's always good to be with family. Uh, it's good to be back in the saddle again. I've been, I don't know if you knew this or not. Some of you guys are like, we didn't even know. I've been gone three weeks from preaching. Not gone, but we had some awesome guys come in and fill out. Ryan, and then we had Carl Davis, and then Matt last week. And we just got some phenomenal guys that can share the word. Amen? We are, we are so blessed um, at Reliance with just teaching and, and pastors on staff and just people out here like you guys that can just come and share your hearts and share the word. And so um, thank you guys for that. But it is good to be back. Uh, we've been in a summer series over the last couple of weeks um, where we're walking through the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles out, if you don't have them, it'll be up here on the screen here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to go through 1 John. and We've kind of been going section by section and kind of the, the theme or the overall goal of 1 John is this identity of love. You're going to hear love all throughout 1 John, entangled all throughout 1 John is this word love. And the reason that we wanted to study it and walk through 1 John over the summer is so that by the end of the summer, we have a foundation here at Reliance that if someone were to come back and peel back, rip open the church, what would come out of this place is an overall love for God a love for one another and a love for each other in this place. Like we want that deep-seated within us, this identity of, of love in our life. And so um, today, um, we're gonna look at what does it look like to kind of grow in maturity in that love, kind of what stage of maturity you're in and something that wars against that in your life. What's coming against that love for God um, in your life? If I say the word maturity, how many think maturity is a pretty big deal? Yeah? Okay, so basically the ones that didn't raise your hand, are you immature or, I'm just messing, right? Most of us in this room would be like, maturity is a, a big thing. Like, we want maturity in life. We, we see that there are stages in life that we have to grow in and we have to mature in and we have to move forward in. Um, nothing has exemplified that more in my life recently or lately than my son, Tyson, who is 14 and is now driving on your roadways, all right? Now you think of Tyson Wallace for a minute and be like, Tyson, the kid who when we first started and we were West Campus and we were meeting at, at the elementary school in the garden, the kid who was welcoming people as they walked up by peeing on the front lawn while you're walking up. Hello, welcome to West Campus. Remember he was like three, all right? This kid is now driving on your roadways. I'm just throwing that out there to you, right? But, but I'm seeing something happening. This little boy that I feel like was just yesterday, we were changing diapers. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying, I feel like is now on the road driving and, and, and it, we were standing in the DMV line getting his driver's license and all of these adults and I'm sitting there going, my son, man, is driving. And as we're in the car, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm petrified, FYI. I'm petrified as we're driving and he took driver's ed and all that stuff. And I'm like, you're veering, you're veering, you're veering. This is not your lane. Get out of this lane. This is not your lane. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm turning into my mother right now, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he actually is calling me out now on everything. He's like, dad, you didn't use your blinker. Be quiet. I've been driving a long time, right? <laughs> He's growing up. He's maturing. It's a process in life that we all, all, all agree that is a good process in life. Like eventually, even though when our kids grow up, sometimes you think, man, I would love if they were little again. The goal of your life as a parent is that you help them grow into maturity. Like if you have a, a kid right now that you're potty training, you can't wait until they're potty trained. Do I hear an amen? If you've got a middle school, high school son, you can't wait till they aim and hit the toilet. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> there is a maturity in our life. 
that we cannot wait for. It's a part of life. It's a process in our life. It's, it's something in our life that we enjoy when we grow and we mature in those things. And the same thing God desires for our life. And this is what First John is all about. God's going, my kids are growing up. That's what I desire. My kids are growing up. And if we're not growing up, that's an issue. If, if we're st- stuck in the same place that we were from 10 years ago, or we're stuck in the same place that we were five years ago, or we're stuck in the same place that we were a year ago in our faith in Christ, there's an issue of our maturity in Jesus. Do I hear an amen? amen. And so when, when, when John addresses us here, he really starts off pretty heavy. First John chapter 1 was a, pretty heavy, was a pretty heavy chapter into chapter 2. It's almost like saying, let me give you a test of your maturity. Oh, you think you're mature? He basically is like, let me give you a test. Here's a little litmus test to see if you're mature. Let me catch you up real quickly on what he shared. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So he's like, you want to test your maturity? Are you still walking in darkness? He goes on, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. He's like, do you want a test of your maturity? How are you doing by claiming that you have sin and doing something about it in your heart? Doing something about it in your life? He goes on in chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if, somebody say if, we keep his commandments. If we keep his commands. And so he's testing the level of maturity. If you're saying that you know him, how are you doing keeping his commands? He goes on, he says, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Then he gives the second one. He says, anyone, in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And so he's looking at you and I. He's going, where are you at in your maturity? Do you love one another truly from the heart? Do you love each other as brothers and sisters? Is that how you're loving one another, how you're loving people? Are you loving them the way that God would want you to love them? And so he's basically coming out heavy-handed, just, and he's not doing it in a, in a hurtful way. He's just simply saying, look, let's look at your maturity process. And then you listen to that, and if you're like me, after I read those things, I'm like, man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I don't know that I'm great at following his commands. Man, I struggle at times with loving people the way that God wants me to love them. And so somewhere in my heart, my heart begins to go, you know, and, and I think some of us struggle, like, am I, am I a Christian? Like, what does this look like, God? I struggle with this thing. And so remember, John's a grandpa by this time. He's, he's an older man in his older age. And so John is looking at how he's sharing with his readers, and he's seeing this, and he's like, wait a second, I need to reassure them in their life that their foundation of these things is in Christ and not in their abilities. Amen? And so here's where we pick up in, in 1 John chapter 2, and this is why I want to start in verse 12. Because John sees something after coming out super heavy and saying, look, if you're saying you're mature, are you walking in darkness? If you're saying you're mature, are you following my commands? If you're saying you're mature, are you loving people? And all of a sudden, it's like he stops and he puts something in here that doesn't seem like it fits. We're going to talk about why it fits here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. It's like right away he wants you and I to know, foundationally, you are God's kids and he loves you. Amen? 
And if you're wrestling going, oh, but God, I'm full of sin. Oh, but God, I'm full of sin. And you just set up here, if I claim to be about sin, I'm a liar. And, and Lord, I struggle with these things. He's going, listen, hang on a second. Look, I love you and I've forgiven your sins. Amen? He's, he's doing something. He's building something here. He goes on. He says, I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know that Christ who existed from, you know, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He's going, if you've been walking with God for an extended amount of time, he's like, listen, calm down. You know Jesus. You're okay. I know you're wrestling in your heart right now because these things are some heavy stuff. You're okay. I want to set a foundation. You're okay. You know Jesus. He goes on. He says, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle over the evil one, with the evil one. He's like, look, if you've just come into your faith in Christ, if this is brand new to you, or you haven't been a Christian for very long, he's saying, well done. You've walked out of the darkness and you found the light and his name is Jesus. You have won. Not that you're going to win, you've won the battle, amen? Victory is yours. The war is over. You've won. You have some battles from time to time, but that's the enemy trying to knock on your victory. You've already got it. So he's reassuring in their hearts. Listen to what he says. I'm writing to you. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So, so let me just stop for a minute. Let me tell you why this is stuck in here. It seems like it's out of nowhere. So here John is. He's like, look, if you have faith, you're obeying my commands. If you have faith, you're loving other people. And all of a sudden, it's like he stops, and he throws in something that looks very random. But it's not random. He's systematically reassuring his readers and listeners that they have confidence in Jesus, not in themselves. Because if you and I read this, we're a bit down right now. We're going, oh, man, I just struggle following God's commandments. I struggle sometimes with loving people. I struggle sometimes with allowing darkness into my life. And so he stops, and he's looking at you just like he's looking at them, and he's saying, stop for a minute. God loves you. Stop beating yourself up. I want to reassure you that he loves you. And he's saying, look, your sins have been forgiven. You know the Father. You're strong in your faith. And here's what he's doing. He's recognizing that just like in their time, and the same thing in this room, that there's different levels of maturity in this room. There are people who follow Jesus their whole life in this room. There are people who are brand new to faith in this room. There are people who are in this room going, I don't even know what this is about, but I'm here. And so there's this gamut of all of these levels of maturity and what he wants you to know, whatever level you're at right now, his eyes are for you. If you're that mature believer, man, I just feel like I've missed the mark. He's like, you know me. If you're that young believer, you're strong. If you're that child, that infant that's sitting in here, and he's not talking about age, he's talking about in your spiritual life. If you're the one going, I feel like I know nothing, he goes, Oh, your sins are forgiven. I'm so for you. And, and, and here's why. It's important that we get this because he's getting ready to address something that we all struggle with and that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's a huge thing that he's getting ready to share. So he came in super heavy. And I kind of feel like it's, if you're looking at from a, just a maturity with kids point of view for a minute, I kind of feel like when I set my kids down and I go through all the things like, are you doing this? No, you're not. Are you doing this? No, you're not. You guys resonate with me, right? You're doing, and you like make your laundry list of all the things that you're not doing and then you stop for a minute and you're like, I don't think I've told them one thing good that they are doing, right? 
After a while, what happens when you just give them the laundry list of all the things that they're not doing well? They check out. They shut down. They tune out. It's almost like John recognizes this because it just doesn't seem like it fits here. It's like John recognizes, he's like, man, if you say you love him, are you obeying his commands? If you're saying that you love him, are you loving others? And then it's like, whoa, hang on a second. Let me reassure you for a minute. And let me tell you what you are doing well and who you are. <laughs> because what he's about to say in this next part is really tough. And, and if we're not reassured in our hearts that we belong to God, we might have a tendency to read this next part, put our heads down in shame and guilt and go, man, it's just too hard. And I don't know if I'm ready for that and just simply walk away. And here's why. If you have your Bibles, verse 15, listen to this. Verse 15, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let me tell you why this is a big deal in, in, in church hearts and Christianity and where we're at in, in our life. In 1 John, you're going to read about love over 51 times. John talks about love 51 times. This is the one negative place that he talks about love in terms of a negative sense. And so you got him going, God is love, love for others, love for one another, loving your enemies. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this thing, he goes, do not love this. Do not love this. And do not love this is do not love the world nor what it offers. It's a bold statement. And at first glance, you might go, man, that kind of rubs me wrong. Because from the, very, from the very moment that I came to Christ, the very first scripture verse I think that I ever learned in my entire life was John 3.16. And what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. So God, you're saying you so love the world, but you're, now you're saying that I'm not supposed to love the world. I feel like there's mixed signals here, and, and there's not mixed signals. The way in which God is talking about loving the world in the sense that Jesus said it versus the sense that John is saying right now is he's talking about it in two different ways. When Jesus said, for when, when, when uh, John writes in the Gospels, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, he's saying, for God so loved the world, he loved his creation, and he saw that it was broken, and he saw that it was fractured, and he saw that the only way that the world world was going to be fixed is that he had to come, Jesus had to come and infuse himself in all of the brokenness and hold it together in his perfection. Amen? Amen. And so when John talks about it, he's not talking about it like that. That's not John's take on it. John's saying, this, when I say the world, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the world in which we have forsaken God. I'm talking about the world in which we want a world apart from God. I'm talking about the world that says we've abandoned God and the things of God and we don't need God. He's saying don't cling to that world, amen? There's such thing as a broken world that God loves. When God looks down and he sees us and he sees brokenness inside of us, he's saying, man, I love you. When he sees the world, he's seen the brokenness of humanity for God so loved the world. He saw the brokenness and he came in to fix it. When John talks about, he's saying, all of the things that are going to steal your affection for God and become idolatry in your life, don't love those things. Don't love those things. So like in Christianity, we use two words a lot. We use the words worldly. Oh, that person is so worldly. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
Or we use the word worldliness, like there's just so much worldliness out there. Well, it's the world, right? And like sometimes we overdo it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes we overdo it like, oh, you listen to country music, Aaron? Uh, I'm not that worldly. <laughs> so we use it as like this condition of the heart. In church life, that's how we use it. We use it as like this condition of the heart, like be careful that we don't get into too much worldly things. And, and we're not saying, and, and we gotta be careful with that, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But basically what we're saying is that it looks like we love the Lord, but in, in reality, there's something that's trying to pull our affections and our desires away. Now, there's two reasons that I wanna break down real quickly of why loving the world is empty. Somebody say empty. There's two reasons of why loving the world is is empty, and John shares both of them here in this section. And the first one he says in verse 15, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. There's point blank. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. In other words, the reason you shouldn't love the world and why it's empty is that you can't love the world and love God at the same time. Listen to that. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. Jesus gives us the principle in Matthew 6, 24, when he's talking about possessions and money. He says, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. What we know is that everything in life vies for our affection from Jesus. The world is trying to pull us. Satan wants to pull our affections away from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's better. I'm better. I'm better than that. I'm better than things of the world. And so what we have the tendency to do, and we all do it, we have the tendency to go, no, 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 I can love Jesus and I can love the world at the same time. I can do it. I know that I can do it. And what happens is we start to get stretched and we start to get pulled and we start to get pulled so much that you're going to let go of one of those. The question is, which one are you going to let go of? And typically what we end up doing is we letting go of, we, we tend, to, tend to let go of Jesus because these ones have an immediate fulfillment in our life. Oh, but they feel so good. I'll come back to him later. I'll grab hold of him later. And so we have this tendency to believe that we can hold on to both, that I can hold on to both. And so John comes out and he says, it is not possible to love both. Even though we think that we can we think that we can have love for both. We think that we can love God while at the same time loving the things of the world. There's a guy named Demas that we've talked about multiple times in here. He tried this. There's a guy named Demas who fell into this. He was with the apostle Paul. He's on these missionary journeys with Paul. He's watching Paul heal people. He's watching dead people rise from the grave. He's watching these tremendous miracles happen. And then something happened in Demas' heart that Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas... In love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonia. For Demas, in love with this present world. Here's how I picture it happening to Demas. It didn't start off all hot and heavy for him. He wasn't like, you know what, I just don't like you, God, and just walks away. Demas, holding Jesus, man, going, man, I've seen him. I've tasted the things of God. It's been so good. And all of a sudden, Demas, something happened in his heart. This is how I see it. I don't know. This is how I see it. Demas goes, oh. But wow, like, I really like food, man. Like, I just love, I just, I just love. I'm kind of a glutton for food. And so I'm going to hold you, Jesus. I'm going to hold on to my favorite, my favorite food that I just gluttonous in. And then all of a sudden, he's like, I want to hold you, Jesus. And there's that pretty gal. And, and she just has, she loves me because I'm awesome, right? I'm Demas. 
And so he like kind of grabs hold of her. He's like, but I still love you, Jesus. But boy, these two things, they really have my heart's affection. And then all of a sudden he's like, I, did you see that beach house in Thessalonia on the beach? It was awesome, right? I don't even know if it's on the beach. Um, and so he's like, he's, he's, he's reaching and he's going, I, I want, I want, I want, but I still want you. And eventually he got stretched and he let go of Jesus. Because I, in my heart, I just don't believe it just happened on a whim. Something began to still his affections, and each day, slower and slower and slower, he began to pull away from the love of God. James says it even more thought-provoking, or you could say even more harsh. James 4, 5, James chapter 4, verses 4 says, you adulterers. <laughs> Thanks, James. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. Some translations say jealous. They say that God is passionate or jealous. Not jealous of you, for you. He doesn't want to share you. The God of the universe who created you for his pleasure doesn't want to share you. The God of the universe who created you for a relationship doesn't want to share you with the idolatry of the world. Amen? So he says, don't you, don't you know the scripture, or do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit that he's placed within us should be faithful to him and him alone. You can't have both. And yet in our hearts, we will fight relentlessly for both. We do. We fight relentlessly for both. Somehow we believe, I'll never be Demas, but I'll love you, Jesus, and I'll love my brand new truck. I'll love you, Jesus, and I'll love my fill-in-the-blank. Somehow we think that we can still do it. And so what we do is we have this variation this is why i believe we have so many variations of christianity so many ways of christianity because what we're trying to do is we're trying to appease people's appetites for the world so what we're saying is look you can have god you can have jesus and it's okay if you have whatever it is fill in the blank i'm telling you do not follow that doctrine amen that's why John is teaching us this doctrine. John's coming in to where false doctrine has come in. False teaching has come in. And he's saying, somebody is stirring your hearts and telling you that you can have Jesus and all the things of the world. And he's saying, you can't have both. It's going to pull you. It's going to stretch you. And you're going to let go of one of them. Which one are you going to let go of? But we don't like that option. <laughs> Tell somebody that they can't get the option that they want and they get mad. Amen. It's true, you go to Burger King, what is Burger King's slogan? Made your way, have it your way, whatever it is, right? You go into Burger King and you tell them you want a Whopper with no uh, pickles and no ketchup, and they say, no, we can't do that for you, you're gonna get mad, you're gonna leave Burger King, right? Don't you lie. You're gonna go to McDonald's, well, maybe not, Chick-fil-A, you're gonna go Chick-fil-A. This, this is not on Sundays, amen? You're gonna go find somebody else that's gonna actually make it your way because that's what we want in life. We want, this is what we want. I want it my way. I want Jesus, I like Jesus, I love Jesus, but I also love the things of the world. I want it my way. And somewhere in there he says, you can't. You can't have it your way. I read an article and uh, it shared about uh, deer in, in, in Arizona's Grand Canyon. It said, potato chips, cheese curds, and candy. 
maybe some of your favorite things to eat, but for a few mule deer in Arizona's Grand Canyon National Park, these foods proved to be deadly. Park rangers had to kill over two dozen mule deer because they became hooked on junk food. <laughs> Left by visitors at the park. Listen to this, true story. Once they get a taste of the sugar and the salt, the deer develop an extreme addiction and will go to any lengths to eat only junk food. The result is the animals ignore the food they need, leaving them in poor health and on the edge of starvation. Listen to this. Because of junk food cravings, the deer lose their natural ability to digest vegetation. One park ranger called the junk food the crack cocaine of the deer world. <laughs> That's jacked up. Don't feed the deer, all right? These deer have become so hooked on this stuff. I, I, it's crazy. It says they lose the ability to digest the food that they're supposed to eat. This is the warning that the word has given us here in 1 John of the danger in developing a craving for the things of the world. Rather than hungering for God, we'll settle for things that taste good for a moment. We'll lose the ability. We'll feel like we lose the ability. Somebody will say, man, you need something in your life. You need help in your life. And all of a sudden, somebody will give you a good word from the Lord or something from the Lord. And you'll just, oh, I just don't know. I just don't feel like I have that. And so you'll look for the things of the world because you can digest that easier. So from a maturity level, you can't have both. We teach our kids that, don't we, in maturity? You got to pick. You can't have both. And the same thing in our hearts with Christ is that He's saying, look, you're going to have me, you're going to have the world, but you can't have both. The second thing, real quickly, he says this in verse 17. This is the other reason why it's empty. The other reason why it's empty, loving the world is empty. He says, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. He said, not, on, not only can you not have both, but it's fading away. The one that you're going to grab hold of and hold tightly to, if you're grabbing hold of the world and going, I just can't let go, I just can't let go. He goes, look, it's fading away. It's disappearing. It's, it's transient. It's here one day. It's gone the next. This is not eternal. This is. And he's saying, in this moment, if you love the world, you're loving something that's fading away. Nobody buys stock in a company that they're sure is going to go bankrupt. Amen. Nobody builds a house in a swamp that they know is going to sink. So why in the world would we build a foundation of something that we know as believers, you're sitting in this church today, that you know it says this world will pass away? Why are we putting our stock, why are we putting our hearts, why are we putting our affections into those things? The same is true when Jesus shared this about our stuff in Matthew chapter 6. No reasonable person would lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Would they? The world is passing away and it's not just that the world is passing and fading away it says its desires and its cravings are too and here's what it means by that you are just simply not going to be fulfilled you're just not no matter how much somebody tells you no matter how much somebody tells you it's not going to fulfill you it's like something inside of us goes but i gotta try but I know you say it, but i got to try it. Look, Solomon, Solomon took the bullet for us. Solomon, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it shares all about his worldly pursuits. 
Some of us out there, we're just going, but I've got to see. I've got to see if I can do it. I've got to see if it's going to taste good to me. I've got to try it myself. Don't do it. Solomon took it for you. And here's what he says. He admits that he tried fulfilling himself with everything that the world had to offer. He says, look, I had laughter. I had parties, wild parties. I had houses. I had gardens. I had servants. I had music. I had money. I had all of these things. I had sex. I had a thousand wives. I mean, I had everything. It was all right there at my fingertips. And here's what I found out about it. Every time I pursued it, it wasn't fulfilling. So I tried something else. I tried something else. And here's what he says. It was like chasing after the wind. It was like chasing after the wind. It's not, it's not fulfilling. There's a quote about Solomon's pursuit. It says, Solomon's pursuit of worldly pleasure was like a man dying of thirst, trying to quench his thirst by drinking a thousand handfuls of salt water. The more he drank the thirstier he became, the more he drank, the closer death came upon him. If we just look at this from a maturity standpoint for a minute, I feel like we have these conversations at home all the time. My kids get caught up in, you know, this friend or that friend or this girl that likes me or that guy that likes me, and I'm like, guys, it's not life. It's over in a day. It's middle school. Amen? I heard a real big amen from a middle school parent back there. I'm like, you're, you're, it's crazy. Yeah, but they don't like me or they do. I'm like, look, it's over in a moment. At the end of the day, it's fleeting. This is our life. It's fleeting. And so we have these conversations going, what are you putting your stock into that has longevity? But then there's a third part to this. Real quickly, there's a third part. And this third part is the promise. So he's going, look, it's fading away. Don't, it's empty because it's fading away. It's empty because you can't have both. And so if you choose the world, you don't have the love of God inside of you, and it's empty. But then he says, but here's the promise. John says, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Anyone who pleases God will live forever. I like this translation. But he who does the will of God abides. Somebody say abides. Abides forever. I love that word abides. We get to abide in God forever. We get to dwell in God forever. Nothing in all of the world is more important than experiencing the love of God in your heart. And that's why Jesus tells us in the great commandment, Matthew 22, 36, love the Lord your God with all, everybody say all. all, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you love him with all of that, you don't have that to give to the rest of the pursuits of the world, amen? So why would we? Why would we, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, why would we, as heirs of the eternal one, Jesus Christ, why would we, as heirs of the eternal kingdom, concentrate our interests on what is passing away in this temporary kingdom? And let me just speak to you for just one more minute on something that we gotta be careful in. We gotta be careful in this, that sometimes then the tendency is to listen to this and go, man, I'm not supposed to love the world or pursue the things of the world, and so I'm just gonna shut myself off from it. Let me tell you what we have a tendency to do in church life then, and this is where that worldly, worldliness comes into play that drives people crazy out there in the world, okay? Is that the church then, what we do is we try to shut ourselves off from the rest of the world. We just go, well, let's hole up, man. Let's isolate. Let's isolate ourselves, and let's just, let's just say, that's out there, and we're in here. That's what breeds the mentality of how the world sees the church. 
what breeds the mentality of how the world sees the churches. You're better than us because you think you're in there. And so what we've got to be careful with, there's two ways in which we can read this wrongly. The first way in which we can read this wrongly is that we're supposed to remove ourselves from the world. No, we're not. We're not supposed to remove ourselves from the world because Jesus didn't remove himself from the world. Amen? Listen to what it says. The problem is this isn't the way that Jesus lived. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus praised this prayer on his face before his Father in his last hours of living on planet Earth. And he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's talking about us. God, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So he's not asking to take us out of the world. He's saying right here in this moment that we are simply supposed to live our lives as he did in this world. Amen? Amen. The second way in which we can misread this is that we forget that we're still called to a great commission. And how in the world can we go anywhere if we're afraid of what's out there? This is why earlier he was just securing their hearts when he says, look, you young believers, you mature believers, you know me, you're strong. Your sins have been forgiven. You've already defeated the evil one. He's telling them this. And so we cannot fulfill the Great Commission if we're afraid to go out into the world. So then what, what are the three areas that he's telling us to avoid then? When he talks about the world, then what does that look like? How are we supposed to be in the world and not out of the world and all those kinds of things? He tells it right here and he says, here's what you don't want to fall into the trap of doing. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Real quickly, as the band comes up, let me tell you what those three things are real quickly. A craving for physical pleasure. What he's saying is this, the things that we crave that fulfill our fleshly desires, our fleshly needs, immediately most of our minds in here go, oh, he's talking about sexual immorality. Absolutely, he's talking about sexual immorality in there. That's one area. But he's also talking about how we crave physical pleasure for gluttony, yeah, and addictions of any sorts, where it becomes more about that than it becomes about God. But I'll tell you, when he talks about the sexual immorality part or how we can associate with that is this. We live in a sex-saturated culture where pornography is on the increase. It's on the rise. And listen to this. I was reading an article the other day. And it says, you want to know one of the number one destinations now for sex trafficking? The United States. He said, we're fueling it. This article said, we are fueling it by our nature, by our nature of desiring the physical pleasures of the flesh. We are fueling one of the biggest industries right now, which is sex trafficking. But he's not just saying that it's all about that. He's saying there's so many other areas in which we get caught up in, in the craving of our physical pleasures. This is the yoke that hangs around our neck when we love the world. The yoke which turns our affection, our attention from God to that of the material or the physical things. Genesis 4, 7 the Lord is talking to Cain because he knows what's in Cain's heart about killing his brother Abel. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The second thing he said was the craving for everything that we see. This is where we move, where our eyes become the windows to our heart and the windows to our soul, where we look out and all we see is the things that we want and the things that we desire. We covet. We say, man, I want what you have, and I want what you have, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And Jesus is up here going, don't you want me, man? I fulfill all those things. Those other things are temporary. And we're like, yeah, 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 I like you too, but I want that, and I want that. You see my neighbor, they got the new house, and they got this, and I want that. And we began with our eyes to just covet things. 
and we desire, and then the root of comparison comes in. And when the root of comparison comes in, then the root of going, I just don't know if it's good enough comes in. We begin to set up these things, these standards that I've reached, I've, I've attained it all. If I could just reach this status, we're coveting with things in our eyes. And then Jesus no longer comes our affection, everything else does. So what happened with Eve in Genesis 3, she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to her eyes that the tree was to be desired and make one wise. It says, so she took the fruit and ate it. She saw it, looked good. That's how Satan tried to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain. He showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory and all of these things he said can be yours if you'll fall down and worship me. And we know what Jesus said. Jesus looked at him and he said, be gone, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him and only serve him. And the third thing, the first two things, the physical craving of physical pleasure the second thing the craving of everything we see that's things that we're desiring trying to fill and put into our life the third thing pride in our achievements and possessions that's what we already have that's where we boast look at me look at my success look at what I did look at what I built look at what I, I branded look at what I made look at the life that I've done for myself look at my 401k look at my house Look at my family, look at whatever. Look at how awesome I am. And we begin to just be prideful and boast about how awesome self has become. Look at what I've made of myself. There's the thing about that church, those possessions and those things, all of that stuff, it was from God to give Him glory, amen? So as we close out, in and of itself, I just want you to hear this. When we're craving those things over the Lord, so, so are you saying, Aaron, that, that we shouldn't desire good food? You're saying we shouldn't desire good family? You're saying we shouldn't desire a good job? You're saying we shouldn't? No, you should desire all of those things as long as your desire for all of those things is rooted in the fact that you want to give glory to God. Desire a good marriage. Desire a good family to where you can say, God did this desire that promotion where you can say God got me here and so because of that I give back to him desire to go out to that good restaurant if you want to go out to that good restaurant so you can say God has blessed us with everything that he's given us just make sure your affections are upon him so here's the deal I don't know what brought you in here this morning I don't know if you were looking for that feel-good message hopefully you're gonna feel good because Jesus is inside of you amen but here's what I want you to know. In this moment right now, you're at a fork in the road. And that fork in the road is, I'm going to desire my affections are going to be for the thing of the world or my affections are going to be for the king of kings. But John says, you can't have both. So if you've been holding both, it's time to let go of one. And right now in this moment, that fork that's in the road is for you to either desire the things of the world or to desire the things of the kingdom and desire Him, but you can't have both. So I'm gonna ask you to stand up this morning. We're gonna close out in prayer. And this morning as the prayer team comes up and the altar's open, if right now you know you've been hanging on to both and you're being stretched and you're ready to let go of one of those and you're ready to let go of the things of the world and pursue the things of God, we want to pray over you guys today. If you know that your heart's in turmoil because of that, we want to pray over you guys today.
but you're at a fork in the road and it's time to make a choice. So Father God, today, your word says that we cannot love the world and love you at the same time. That if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so God, we take heed to that warning and we say, God, we want affection, attention. We want our eyes to be only on you. And so God, we want to release the things of the world and pursue the things of you wholeheartedly. So today as we're at that fork in the road, God, we're not going to be Demas. We're not going to hang on to one, try to hang on to the other, and be stressed and eventually lose you. God, I pray that today a bunch of hands let go of the things of the world and pursue only you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. The altar is open if you would like to come. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.